Thank you for listening to the In The Lead show. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead show. My name is Jennifer Sang and today I am joined by John Ferrara, CEO of Nimble, to talk about empathetic leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate the opportunity to join you for this uh, conversation. I think it's so poignant and important, especially in the moments that we're in today, to talk about empathy and its, uh, its effect on leadership. Yes. And it seems like by the day, it's, you know, even more and more important, um, just so much going on in, you know, the macro world climate and, you know, just everything it's so desperately needed. So I'm excited for our conversation today, but before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who is, who's John? Yeah. So I've been involved in technology almost all my life and it's really affected my journey in, in life and, and the things that I do. And also just the different incidents that have occurred in my life. It's really channeled me on what's important to me and what's my purpose on this planet. And uh, if you really want to know me, uh, know that uh, I believe that we're on this planet to grow our souls. And I think we do that best by helping other people grow theirs. And ideally find a way to add value to others at scale. And, and what I do in doing that is I build relationship management systems that help people connect with others to achieve their dreams, ideally by helping others achieve theirs. Wow. That's awesome. And I'm curious your thoughts, because I know in my corporate role, I hear a lot about empathetic leadership. We talk a lot about empathy. You hear it everywhere from the Brene Browns to, you know, every, everyone is talking about empath empathetic leadership, but at the same time, I don't know if I necessarily see it. So what is your thoughts on what's the disconnect between a lot of us talking about empathetic leadership, but not really a lot of doing or a lot of being that empathetic leader? Well, I think that if you, if you don't listen to anything that we say here today, know that being an empathetic leader will affect your bottom line. It, it will allow you to more effectively serve the constituency around you. Because if you are an empathetic leader, then you're really listening and connected to the constituency around your business well, that will enable it to succeed. And I say constituency because leadership should not be only focused on prospects and customers. There's a whole community that is around your business that will enable it to succeed. And I like to relate that to uh, parallels in life. And I call it the sustainable garden around your business. What you want to be able to do is to attract the right things into your garden that make it self-sustaining. So you don't have to go out there and spray weed killer and do rototill the whole garden because you haven't really managed it effectively. And, and I think a good example of that is what Steve Ballmer is doing with Microsoft during his leadership and how um, Satya Nadella radically changed that through his empathetic leadership. I can tell you as a Microsoft business partner that they've gone through changes. There are points in Microsoft's partner relationships where they were eating their children. Do you remember Borland, 
um, uh, Lotus, uh, Novell, yep. uh, et cetera. Yep. Were all people that essentially helped Microsoft become who they were. And it was a, it was a team relationship where these ISVs were building solutions and they were building on top of Microsoft and they were going to market together. And then Microsoft began to basically eat all those children and they tried to be everything to everyone and then got to a point where they were no one to no one. And we all started switching over to Macintosh and sort of forgetting about Microsoft and switching to Google and going to the cloud. And Microsoft was focused on other things and they weren't in the cloud. And Satya came in and really listened to not just the customers, but the partners as well. And when I say partners, it's ISVs, it's resellers, it's distributors, and really began to transform the business based off that listening. If you're willing to go out there in the trenches with your constituency and understand their journey, understand their pain and what is driving them, then you can adjust the way that your company does business to make it easier for people to do business with you. And it makes them happier. It makes them not only want to come and do business with you, but to drag their friends with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's creating that, that whole network. And I love your, your imagery with the garden and how we need to cultivate that. And, um, yeah, that's, it gives me a lot of food for thought. So tell me a little bit about your journey. You've had a kind of an interesting journey in life. I would love to hear kind of your evolution and how you've come to this point of being, you know, such an advocate for this empathetic leadership. Well, so I, um, I started a company called Goldmine, which helped pioneer CRM and contact management before Outlook or Salesforce existed. So I was in sales uh, for a Boston technology startup in 1988 or so. And uh, I got leads on a piece of paper. I got, uh, I managed them in a daytimer and spreadsheets for forecasts. And I said, there's gotta be a better way. And because I had a computer science degree and I worked my way through school in a computer land store, I knew every software program in the market. I knew there wasn't something that integrated email, contact and calendar and sales and market automation. So I built it. Uh, it's too young and dumb to know about VC. So I bootstrapped it on $5,000. We grew it to about $125 million a year in revenue and millions of customers and had tremendous success. And I, I think there was a point in my life where I thought my, my poop didn't stink, you know, <laughs> like, you know, success breeds sort of confidence. And, and I was a confident, cocky entrepreneur. And, um, and I sold that company for cash when I was 40. And I, re and I, I retired and I was not quite sure what I would do next. And, and in that moment of success in life, I got a head tumor and almost died. And in the process of my journey of finding both uh, Western medicine uh, help, I did some Eastern medicine work and Eastern philosophy uh, work. And, uh, and it's through that, uh, that work that I did and being smacked by the universe with my head tumor that I uh, sort of softened my soul and my heart and I re-examined my purpose on this planet. And it was then that I came to the conclusion that for me, I'm on this planet to grow my soul in the brief period of time that I'm here. And uh, I do that best by being present with others and helping them to grow their souls because the best way to grow is by being, is by really exposing your real self and listening and connecting with others and if you do that, they will reflect your shit back at you. And if you're willing to look at your shit in life and work on it, that's how we grow. And we also grow by building intimacy and trust with others 
to learn uh, about their journey and their needs and, and adding value to them, even if it's as simple as giving somebody your presence while you're checking out at the grocery line. Because I can't tell you how many times I see people in the grocery line and, and you know what they're doing? They're doing this. And the poor checker is essentially saying, could you please hit enter on that thing and like yeah. put your credit card in? It's like, hello, focus on me. And we're also distracted with this where we're, we're seeking, we're seeking love and attention from an electronic device when we get all that we need by just being present with the people in front of us. And if we gift those human beings that are around us with our presence, they will gift us with opportunities for growth. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I mean, definitely a Buddhist philosophy is that external validation and that grasping that I feel like we're all, so many of us live our lives in. And, you know, I also took away from your story about, you know, thinking about my own life, about how it was unfortunate. I felt that it took something so life altering to kind of wake me up. Like, a lot of times it takes one of those jarring events for you to kind of take a step back and go, okay, let me kind of reevaluate what's going on in life, what's important, what's meaningful. Um, I'm very grateful for those events, but I also wonder sometimes like, well, what if I'm not someone who's had kind of a brain tumor or a, you know, life altering event? Like, how do I get to the point where I can make that shift and kind of broaden my perspectives and kind of have that broader view to be able to be more empathetic, to be more compassionate, to have all these things we're expecting out of leadership nowadays. But I feel like, I don't know, it just feels like empty words or it's like, just well, for, feels good to write on the wall. For individuals listening to this, I think that you could do that through self-study, right? Like reading really great books, like, um, the power of now or Siddhartha or, uh, self-realization or there's you know there's so many great books out there that you can read to begin your journey of enlightenment and even if you just go get something like headspace and start doing some being quiet with yourself it's amazing what you can learn by just connecting with yourself and being quiet with your quiet in your mind and um and just being uh being still and so for individuals there's a lot of journey work that you could do and and if anybody's listening to this and they're anywhere near Big Sur, Google Esalon. Esalon is a oh, fantastic yeah. place that mm -hmm. has a lot of magic that you can learn from. Um, but, but for leaders of corporations or leadership within businesses, know that um, the old days of bagging and tagging customers and shooting other people in the head just to get the deal are kind of over. Uh, I believe that social media has changed the way that we work, play, buy, and sell. And it's changed the expectations that, uh, that we have of one another, that, uh, that buyers have of sellers and uh, of partners have of partners. And so I think the, oh, the go-go 80s and 90s and the enterprise sort of kill them mentality ideally is, is, is shifting and, and nobody wants to be sold to. And I think that service is the new sales and your brand is built on the promises you make and the experiences it, that you deliver. And if you can align those two, you can build a gold mine. So if you're listening to this today, the old ways aren't working and you know it. So it's time to change. And how do you change? You change by leaders, go to your customer service departments, 
put on a headset and start taking calls. Start understanding what your team is seeing in the trenches in regards to your product and your customer journeys and your partner's journeys and, uh, and adjust. Dance with the people around your business. Make their journeys better. Stop talking about your products and your services. Start talking about how you can help other people grow. And if you do that at scale, it will transform your business. Yeah. I like that you said dance. That's often how I see the journey as well, a self journey, but also in business. I feel like we're always dancing between either things like vulnerability and, you know, safety or, um, you know, trust and mistrust or whatever. I mean, constantly in life, we're kind of dancing between these things. And I feel like it's almost like this balancing act. And at the same time, I feel like a lot of people are afraid. I think that, you know, when you say like the old ways are over, I think there's a lot of people still really clinging to, yeah, for dear life. And I'm like, just let go. I I think that we're going through a bounce right now, like an elastic pullback. I think that the, 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 that civilization takes three steps forward and two steps back. And I think that we've been seeing some of that around us. Uh, But when you say dance, did you know that that's why I called the the company Nimble? No, I didn't. Because, um, so I used to love watching Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and Gene Kelly and other people (laughs) in the way that they just so gracefully danced through those numbers. And I, I believe that if you can learn to flow like water down that river and as you hit rocks, you just sort of flow around them. And instead of really hanging on that you're really just more flowing in life. And I'll give you a, 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 an analogy. I love analogy. So I used to ride motorcycles uh, when I was a kid, dirt bikes. And there's a place called Indian Dunes that had a desert section. And if you ride a motorcycle, a dirt bike through deserts, through sand, if you try to hang on to the steering wheel, you will fall over because the, the, the bike wants to naturally flow through the sand because it's almost organic. So what you need to do is you're riding, you need to sort of let go of the handlebars or you need to loosen your grip to the handlebars and, and flow through that, that, let the bike do its natural sort of flow. And I, I, I bet that analogy applies to surfing. And I know it applies to mountain biking. There's been times when I've been doing single track stuff and I sort of let the, the bike find its flow naturally through the course there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that we need to be more nimble in life by dancing and flowing through it more like water in a river and don't hit those rocks and try to hang on. You just got to sort of flow around them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have a very similar analogy that I, I remind myself of a lot, which involves water. And it's it's more of like, for me, it's, kind of trying to flow with the current. I always envision it. Like I'm trying to resist the current. I'm trying to like paddle with my oars to get to a certain place or, but the minute I can kind of release, kind of drop the oars and let kind of the current just take me, it feels like a much, I don't know. I always use the word peaceful. Peaceful is definitely the word for me that I'm trying to cultivate in all aspects of my life. But I feel like a lot of empathetic leadership comes from that peace because when you're at peace, you can be in that presence. When you're at peace, you can be really connected to people. You're not struggling and lurching and reaching and grabbing. Yeah. You're able just to be really present and just kind of go with it. And it's interesting because I I do 
think about that a lot about my own life and like how that kind of current is, I must feel like there's that currents already kind of defined for us. And we just kind of need the courage to be able to relax and just let it kind of flow. And I agree with mountain biking and, um, motorcycles and all those things. There is this element of, um, letting go and kind of letting the, the machine or the, the bike kind of take you where you need to go and having, because when you start to kind of really tense up and want to control it, that's when, especially on motorcycles, I've ridden motorcycles too, where that's where you can, um, almost overcorrect or you get too like, and you hit a rock, let's say, and, and the bike can actually come out a little bit from underneath you. So it's about, yeah, trying to really just really flow. Handlebars. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say, Jennifer, that it's not necessarily about letting go and just floating. Sure. Right? right. I think there's a balance to flowing with the universe, but directing yourself. Yeah. And um, there's an analogy that I want to talk about with uh, rivers and riptides. But before I do that, I just want to say that the way that I found that works for me is is I, I have this thing called the three P's of life. I figure out what my passion is. I build a plan to achieve it. I make it my purpose on a daily basis. And, and that's how I've done the successful things I've done by trusting the universe, because I really believe that there is this sort of power around us of this universal energy that we're all part of and that we can tap into it. And so if you have a, a dream, a desire, a goal, if you can synthesize that into some sort of a plan or idea and then put that out to the universe and be present enough to hear the universe when it knocks and to be brave enough to open the door and walk through it that's where the magic happens in life and i think that many people uh they they have a passion but they're not building a plan to achieve it they might build a plan but they're not making it their purpose on a daily basis and they're not trusting in the in the higher power uh, in their higher power, right? And um, so the analogy of riptides is: if I live on the Pacific Ocean and I go to a lot of beaches, and I know that if you're ever caught in a riptide, that you don't try to uh, swim uh, directly back, because in many cases the riptide is pulling you out, and you're swimming against the riptide. And so what you want to do is swim sort of with it, but adjacent to it. So you could start to swim towards the shore as the riptide, as the riptide bends and you could basically cut out of the riptide. And the same thing with the river. If you're ever caught in a river, because I've done some rafting, you don't necessarily want to put your feet down because you'll break your legs because there's boulders down there. You want to basically keep your feet up and float so you can protect yourself if there's any rocks there. But eventually you want to start to slide yourself over to the side of the river. So you are directing yourself in the in your life journey. You're not necessarily floating, but if you resist too hard, then you you're fighting the flow. So you don't want to fight the flow. You want to go with the flow, but it, it's a directed go, if you will. Yep. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I, I also get the analogy of like when you're standing on the shore and like when a big wave comes to hit you, I've seen people who have gotten really like, you know, tense and like stiffened and like they almost get knocked over by the wave. But if you can be kind of a little bit more 
you know, ground, you're grounded and you're kind of secure, but you're, you're almost kind of moving with it. Like as the wave comes, you kind of move with it. It hits you and it kind of pulls back. You kind of, you have to flow with it. And absolutely. It's definitely not about just a, throw your hands up in the air and like, I have no responsibility or have no, you know, say in anything it's about, yeah, I think creating that space to understand when you're in the flow and something comes up, like what, um, decisions you want to make it, it, to me, it feels, I always say it's like discernment. It's like discerning in the moment. What do I need for myself? What's the best you know, decision to make for me for, you know, maybe the group or for other reasons, but can we make those accurate kind of in the moment decisions, or are we driven by fear? Are we driven by shame or trauma or something else? A lot of times I feel like a lot of leaders sit in that space where we're making decisions or making, um, yeah, just decisions in our business or in everyday life and meetings based from that fear or from that trauma place that isn't that grounded, rooted, kind of flowing with the current, um, place where we are more in kind of alignment and connected to that higher source that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that you, f- you, you find that if you can learn to be present with yourself, I think that, um, you know, Siddhartha or Buddha said that most pain in life comes from, uh, hanging on to the past or resisting the future. And so yeah. you're not here now, right? Yeah. Be here now. And, um, and so learning how to be more present, uh, I think enables you to deal with those situations that inevitably arise, right? So if you're able to be present and you're not basically hanging on to the past, fearing the future, you could just analyze kind of what is happening around you and then make the best possible decision that you can and commit to that, you know, it's not always going to be the right decision or the best decision, but it's a, it's the decision and you'll learn things from that journey and, and it'll be okay. But if you're hanging on to the past and you're really freaking out, you're going to make some really bad decisions. And I think we see that around us in the world today where fear is causing people to make decisions that are horrific and, um, and, and this has to change. But one last thing I did want to say came up when you were talking not only do you want to be present with the people around you, but you want to be present with the, the universe around us. Because I think that if you, um, if you're truly connected to the earth, the stars, etc., that there is an energy that you can get that really um, will put you in a good place. And there's actually natural sort of explanations for some of this. So have you ever been to Yosemite? Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you ever gone to the Mist Trail, Vernal Falls? Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you feel amazing in that river waterfall mm-hmm. canyon? Yeah. Did you know that part of that is from negative ions that basically get created when water go- gets splashed and spilled at uh, high velocity? I didn't know that. Yeah. That makes sense though. Yeah. So if you Google negative ions, there's actually negative ion generators that you could buy for your room that will generate those things for you. But I believe that there's sort of natural um, reasons for these and also reasons that we can't fully grasp and understand. But, uh, but I feel spectacular when I'm backpacking in the mountains for seven days and crossing 14,000 foot passes up there close to the stars. And I understand the stars because I've studied them 
And I understand the motion that they do in the seasonality that they're doing and the stories that our forefathers have told about those stars. It allows me to better understand my place in the universe. Because if you understand the concepts of time and space and where our solar system, our, our galaxy sits in the universe and the expansive nature of that universe and the, and the, the flow of that, the stars and the motions and the seasons, I think it really grounds you. And, and really, this is the foundation that our ancients used to, to balance the cycle of life. They had a, a star observations to know when to plant and when to harvest and um, how to protect themselves from the seasons and, and et cetera. And I think that getting back to sort of that nat nature basics really helps to create a strong foundation for a human being. And so I encourage anybody listening to this to get outside more, to yeah. walk more on a regular basis, and ideally to do that out in open nature, because it really helps with um, your heart and your soul. Yeah. This is something that I was smiling because I was thinking about during the pandemic. I can remember back in the early days when it first hit and we were all locked down. I would go to this park near my house. It's a huge park. And at the time there wasn't actually a lot of people out. So it was really kind of cool because, you know, I live in the Bay area. So it's like, you can't go anywhere without a thousand people being right there. So it was actually very nice. But I remember as I was walking and trying to be really present because at that time, you know, there was so much going on that I, I don't know why it, it was a really grounding experience for me because I felt like, okay, this is where we are. We are right here in the middle of a pandemic. I have nowhere to go. I can't run. I can't hide. I can't go anywhere. I am right here. And I was walking and I was noticing the wind and the sound that it made. And I'd never been so captivated before by the sound of wind, yeah. but, and I was looking at the clouds and I was like thinking, wow, it's so magnificent and beautiful. And I was just having this really almost like out of body experience, something that I had never really had before, but having, feeling just so deeply connected to everything around me in that moment was very powerful and something that stuck with me throughout the rest of the pandemic, but you it's amazing. about COVID for that moment. Yeah. You forgot about mm -hmm. it, right? You, you were connected yeah. and you just, and, and I think that that's the magic of, uh, of being outside. Um, yeah. And more importantly, connecting with that universal energy. And I hope I'm not being too uh, philosophical here, but I really mm. do believe that we're all made of star stuff. I, I study astronomy and I know the makeup of chemicals and we're basically like water and, uh, and just star stuff that's been created. And we're all part of the same pool of things. And so I really believe that it's more than just the physical nature of this thing that the shell that I'm contained in, and that when I die, that this essence of me won't be gone because there's something, there's something more core to me than just the shell that I am. And that energy will pass through and that energy is all around us. And we could tap into that energy and make magic in our lives. But ideally, the magic that you're making in your life is by helping make magic in other people's lives. Because, you know, having had incredible success in my life, I truly believe that that we're not on this planet to make as much money as we can, because you're not going to take it with you. But we're on this planet to make as many memories as we can of the moments that we are here. 
And it's kind of like a, a rock dropping into a steel pond that ripples sort of happen. And so you're here creating ripples in the pond and that's all you're going to leave. So when they when you leave, ideally they say, you know, um, um, they're not gonna say on my grave, invented CRM and made lots of money. They're gonna say, ideally, uh, beloved friend, husband, father, um, and that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're using the ripple metaphor. I often say that as well, like be the ripple. I think people want to be waves. I think people want that, um, that success and that grandiose kind of version of whatever their life is. And they want to make this big splash in this big wave. But in reality, what we all are doing are making those little ripples and, I strongly believe that we don't even know the extent to our impact and how those ripples will impact today, tomorrow, and in the future, even in the past. Like, I think there's some like freedom for me in that knowing that like, Jen, you don't have to be like, figure this all out. You don't have to have this big predefined thing. Like you may not even know the impact you make. And that's maybe part of the plan is like, we don't know every single person or every single thing that we're going to impact and that's okay. And it's not necessarily about knowing it's about creating as many of those ripples for me as possible. And hopefully, you know, touching as many people as you can and making the world just a better place. Um, But, but the thing is, if you're in leadership at a company, know that the things that we're talking about today will affect your bottom line. It it will affect the way that, that people see you and your company. And I believe that as we go forward, that the world will become more enlightened and they'll look for enlightened companies to do business with. And those that start now could be way ahead of the pack because we're still in the baby steps of of what I see is the age of Aquarius. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we talked about I'm curious your thoughts on like what prevents people. We talked about kind of that grasping and that, you know, ego and wanting to, you know, be successful. What do you, because again, I know we, I hear this a lot, like a lot of companies even say all the right things, but if you talk to a lot of the employees, they're like, yeah, we don't see this. We don't feel it. We don't, I don't know if customers even see it or feel it. What do you think it will take for us to go from like conceptually, like saying, yes, empathy is absolutely key to our bottom line to actually being and doing it. Um, so that we're actually living our values instead of just, again, kind of writing it on a piece of paper or just talking about it. I think that the, the, the motivation is the main thing that prevents us all from being, the enlightened beings that we might be. And so why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here to make as much money as you can, to have a garage full of as much stuff as you can? And if that's so, you'll probably never walk the path of enlightenment and growth. Uh, But if you can recognize that you're not here on this planet to make as much as you can, but to give as much as you can, because by giving as much as you can, then you'll get everything that you need in life. Uh, I think that that's where we need to get to, but there's still too, I still think there's too many people coming from a place of 
fear and and uh, and greed. Um, and so mm-hmm. they fear change. They they fear they and they and they, they want they want more, you know. And uh, and I think that less is the new more. And that um, do you remember Scrooge or Christmas Carol? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Marley's ghost. I, I, I'm always going to be struck by Marley coming to Scrooge with all those chains on him and saying, this will be you, you know? And I think that the chains that were holding Marley down was the shit that he accumulated in life, right? Yeah. The, the, all the money, but more than that, the, the pain that he caused by accumulating that money, but is in many cases to accumulate that much, you have to cause suffering to others. Yeah. And, um, and those ill-begotten gains eventually will eat you inside. And yeah. so that was Marley expressing to Scrooge that you need to change your ways. And he, he did it. And, and I love those scenes where he says, you know, is it still this day? He gives the kid the money to go buy the goose and he's dancing and happy. And I think that uh, there's still a lot of people that are behaving like Marley who have a lot of fear and greed and it's, it's eating them up inside. And I could tell you as a human being who has achieved global success and made a lot of money, it, it, it's not what it's about. The things that make yeah. me the greatest happiness is the fact that I was able to be a dad at home for 10 years and to be able to roll around on the floor with my kids and walk into school and read in the classroom and be present for the nuanced stuff that happens that most dads never ever get to see. And my understanding of what it is to be a parent, uh, especially a woman, because in many cases, the, the brunt of parenting falls on the women of the world. And most men have no understanding of that because they've never really done it. And I could tell you, when you have chaos raining around you, you know, a bunch of kids screaming and the shit that goes on, your mind melts and yeah. you just become functional. And, uh, but at the same time, it enables you to soften your heart and your soul in ways that you could never imagine and opportunities for growth. And I think that COVID has provided men a better understanding of that because they've been sort of locked up in the house with their yeah. families. And, uh, and I, I wonder... I wonder how this is going to change us all, right? Like I'm not in the office anymore. Like I work from home as does my team and it gives us new freedoms, but at the same time separates us. But I do think that this is part of a Titanic shift that's happening in humanity. Um, And I think that things that happen with leadership in America, leadership in other countries, choices that those countries are, are making in regards to their neighbors are all part of the last gasp bounce of the angry male because a lot of this shit <laughs> because of old angry men who amen passed. and amen. if the if the angry old men could just let go and let the world evolve and change to let people of diversity of color to let women get some of that power i believe that we could become more enlightened quicker because i think that men and women are different and there's more empathy and 
organizational skills and deeper intelligence that many women have. And if we actually let them just fucking drive, you know, I think get to uh, Nirvana quicker. Amen. Amen to all of that. Oh my gosh. I almost, I get the sense too, John, that like, we're at this point where it's this really critical turning point in humanity. And yeah, the old kind of white men are just like clinging and like wanting to burn, you know, the, I'm thinking a movie, but I can't think of what it is, but it's like, you know, when you burn everything down because you just like, fine, if I can't have it, no one can. I'm just want to like burn it all down. Like that's what it feels like right now, where it is this last, last ditch attempt of like, holding on to what was and not fully accepting what is and where it's going. Um, And I I think that we're going to have to take out these old, angry, fearful white dudes, Um, take them out to the back, back of the house and give them an old fashioned spanking. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I wouldn't mind that. Um, No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about, like kind of flowing with, you know, um, the river and definitely not, not any rivers no there. no they're, they're trying to stand in the river and fight against the current yeah. and uh, and and yeah. you know the thing is is that i really believe that we're on a path of enlightenment that it's nothing's going to change that and that we're going to mm-hmm. get there but it's not going to be without a fight that that yeah. we're going to have to deal with a lot of fear and greed and hate uh, before we get to the love and giving um, and empathy that I think will transform us. You know, it's interesting as we're talking about this macro change, I also feel like the internal process that we've been talking about is also similar. I know from my experience and all the personal development and therapy and things that I've been in, there is that process of when you start to, you're on the cusp of making a change that's so um so earth shattering to you because it's such a big change that there are big parts of you that are really resistant and almost throwing up a fight and saying, no, like, like the tantrum toddler. That's like, I am not, no, I'm not doing. I mean, that's what I honestly think of when I think of all these older white men who are really trying to cling on. It's like a little kid who wants to get its way and it's not getting its way. And then it just starts throwing things and is angry and screaming. Yeah. A lot of that happens internally too. When we're trying to make that shift, um, there can be those parts of you that revolt and go like, wait a second, no. And if you take a step back, what I've found is that, again, that's a lot of it's rooted in that fear and, and, or trauma. Like if we have certain traumas around certain, you know, things that have happened, um, I think a lot of it is a healing kind of exercise is what it feels like. It's like, we're trying to heal our own internal kind of resistance. And then by doing that, maybe we can heal kind of the greater kind of collective. And I, I'm a big advocate of encouraging people to do that healing process for themselves. Cause I feel like there is that ripple effect that the more that we can heal ourselves, we can create that healing and that, you know, enlightenment that you're talking about for everyone and create that environment. But a lot of it, when people sit back and they go, well, I'm just me over here in California. And, you know, there's people in Russia or, you know, presidents of the United States that I can't control, what kind of impact can I have? And I'm always there to say, you can make impacts in small ways and how we can start is with ourselves. Like focus on that transformative process within yourself. And by doing that, you can then start extending that out to others. And it's, it's almost, I don't know if you've been around it, but if you've been around someone who's done a lot of really big work with themselves, you can almost feel it. And it's almost infectious. It's like, 
there's this peace and calm about them. And there's this really connected feeling that you get when you, you come across them that it has an impact. It has an impact on every single person that you meet. So it's, I always like to tell people too, like when we're feeling like what, what impact can I make? Like as one person, like start with yourself and start that exploratory healing transformative process with you. And then start to have that ripple go out everywhere that you go. Amen. Yeah. Such a interesting, it's such a process. I don't know if you've, um, I think you said you went through therapy, right? And you did some yeah, therapy I've work. Done, yeah. I've done a lot of work. And, I, and from that work that I've done, I find that when you get most uncomfortable is when you're closest to yes. the things you want, that you need to do the most work on. And yes. so <clears throat> I think that that's, that is the, for, for the world to grow that each of us have to do our own work. And that's why being present with other people will expose those areas of work that you need to do. And I have a simple analogy for that. So when I'm driving my car and somebody tries to pull in front of me, cut me off, you know, I'm going to get that guy, right? It just sort of gets me, right? Yeah. And if you actually just relax and just say, you know what? They can't cut you off if you actually let them in, Give you know? Them permission, yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. I think that the, the work starts with finding your areas of pain and leaning into them and doing the work on those things that cause you the most discomfort. And, uh, and then by doing so, you'll discover ways to soften your heart and your soul, because I don't think that you could be truly present with other people unless you're present with yourself and that you can't be empathetic with others unless you've learned how to, uh, how to, how to soften your heart and your soul and to expose your heart and soul to others so they can see the real you. I think that most of us hide the real us through addictions, um, and, uh, and I think that uh, by working on yourself and being truly present, then you can start to affect change in others. Yeah, that ripple effect works both ways, right? A lot of anger and aggression. Um, I see that a lot, actually, the road rage where, and there's just a story actually here in the Bay Area where a man was shot because he cut, I don't know, cut him off. And then they were like, chasing each other and this crazy. And I thought, wow, I mean, even moments like that, what are we choosing to put into the world? Are we choosing yeah. to put more anger, aggression, pain, suffering, or are we choosing to just give somebody permission to do that? And you know, you're, I, I, that's a big trigger for me. Another one is like standing in line at the grocery store. It drives me bonkers. And it's always an invitation. Jen, this really bothers you. Like, what can you learn from the situation? What do you notice about yourself? What, what feelings are coming up? How are you going to react? Um, there's so many opportunities every day for us to start practicing. I say practice when it doesn't matter. Practice when you're standing in line, practice yeah. when you're driving and just notice what are your tendencies. And then ask, I always ask myself, what uh, impact do I want to have in this moment? Do I want to again, add more anger and aggression into the world? Or do I want to add more kindness, peace, like take, you know, whatever, cut me off. I mean, it, it, honestly, in the scheme of things, it doesn't matter. I'd rather have that person in front of you 
riding somebody else's tail and switching into other people's lanes then basically behind you pushing you. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, so much to learn there. Yeah. So I think it starts with yourself and I like how you mentioned using what I say is like everyday annoyances or everyday, you know, but, issues. But you, won't, you won't see them unless you're present with yourself. Yep. Absolutely. It if takes a lot. You're addicted to this, putting shit in here so you get more red lights of people liking, commenting yeah. with you, as opposed to just being present with the shit, with everything around you. And then yeah. listening to yourself and understanding the energy that's flowing through you and when you get worked up, why you're getting worked up and to lean into those things. But you won't see any of that if you are suppressing yourself with whatever uh, addictions that you're gnawing on your bone of life. Yep. Yeah. And that's where I think the beginning of empathetic leadership starts and how to develop that and cultivate it. Um, so I like how this kind of come full circle and I really enjoyed our time today. I would love for you to end with maybe one piece of advice or one lesson that you've learned in your life that you'd like to share with the listeners around empathetic leadership and something maybe people can start doing yeah. today. So I find that uh, sitting is the new smoking. and uh, But unfortunately, as a tech entrepreneur, I do a lot of that, right? Yeah. So uh, I like to do walk and talks, uh, walk and talks with my team, walk and talks with friends that I meet digitally uh, and walk and talks with myself, right? Like, um, so every day, get out there and get some movement in your body. You know, put three or four miles of walking in your time. And when you're doing that, you can actually do walking meditations. I find them are really powerful. And by being out into in nature, it's a really great way to get connected to the universe, but also more importantly, yourself. And uh, that experience that you had where you heard or felt or saw the wind and the clouds and you started sensing your connectedness to the universe. And when you get that sort of connection, the universe actually comes in and feeds you stuff. It gives you things. And you could say that it's the universe giving you stuff, or you could say that it's just your own mind because you're quiet enough that it's given you the signals that it's collected and synthesizing that into a solution that then delivers you an opportunity of, of growth in your life. And that's how I invented CRM and, and invented back with Goldman, invented uh, social serum with nimble is by listening to my journey and my own pains and synthesizing solutions that were gifted to me by the universe. Yeah. And so uh, I'll leave you with get out and walk more, be present with yourself, try walking meditations and do that with your team or with the people that you meet and connect with in life. I think that, uh, that the best way to grow is by helping other people grow. And the best way to do that is by being present with uh, yourself and others. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Walking meditation has definitely become my thing because we're busy and that's a great way to kind of do some multitasking. If you are on a, even if you're on a call and you don't need to be fully kind of engaged, like, can you just take a walk and just get out and yeah, I, I do really a lot explore. Of, I do a lot of my calls walking. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. uh, but, you know, if you want to try meditation, it doesn't have to be done sitting on a pillow or the yeah. floor. Uh, you can do it out in the universe. And I think in many cases, it can be more powerful 
because I think it's hard to be still with yourself and maybe it's easier in a quiet room, but when you're walking outside, I think it, uh, it adds a new dimension. And there's a place that I, I used to go to called Canyon Ranch in mm-hmm. Tucson. And it's a great place to work on your mind, body, soul. And that's where I learned how my first walking meditation. And I remember being up in Esalen. Have you been to Esalen, Jen? Yes. Well, I've heard of it. I have not been to it yet, but go. I want to. Got to go. Just yeah. go. in this, this interview, go Google Esalen, Big Sur, and go yep. pick a class on three-day weekend, whatever, and go uh, give that to yourself. Yep. But, um, but I do believe that... Uh, that walking meditations are a great thing to try. Um, but certainly if you have a phone call and you don't need to be presenting something on a computer, just go walk and talk. Yeah. Walk and talk. I'm big advocate of that as well. Um, you know, before we head off, um, and end the call, I wanted to, I have a little segment at the end where we do some, like, get to know you questions a little bit different. So shifting gears a little bit, but I was curious, I'm going to ask you two questions. So the first one is what is your favorite book on your bookshelf? So maybe I'll start with that. What's your favorite book on your bookshelf? Well, I'm really torn between two, uh, Siddhartha and Think and Grow Rich. Uh, but I, I think they're very closely related, certainly in, in my life. Uh, but I have to lean towards Siddhartha because it teaches, it, it's taught me to, uh, about the value of, not hanging on to the past or, or fear in the future and being more present and marching to my own drummer in life. And I think that's what's enabled me to be successful in life and to be able to make me able to understand the ideas of thinking go rich and apply them in my life. That's awesome. And then the second question is who has been the most influential person in your life and why? Well, I'm torn between my dad and my uncle. Uh, My dad was the number one uh, Lincoln Mercury guy in the country in the 50s and the first Subaru dealer in California in the 70s. And he was an entrepreneur and he taught me my my people skills and my relationship skills, which have enabled me to be who I am in life today. But then my uncle invented radar and microwave at MIT in the 40s and was uh, had his own aerospace company and kind of guided me into being the technologist that I am. And so it was really the two of them. In fact, I'll tell you, when I was a teenager, I uh, dissed my dad and basically said, I never want to be in sales. And that's why I studied computer science and, and bought a computer when I was 18 and leaned into my uncle. But it was really my dad's people skills and his sales skills that were the foundation of my life success. And so really, it's a blend of those two men. Wow. What a powerful force to have in your life and being able to help shape you. That's amazing. Um, John, thank you for your time today. This was a real pleasure. Um, I I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for walking this journey with me. Me too, Jen. I, I, um, this was a different conversation than I normally have in the podcast that I do, but it really speaks to the heart of who I am. And I appreciate, uh, I appreciate this conversation and hope that it uh, gives others with ideas of how they can grow. Awesome. Me too. Thank you.